Chapter 11 of Captain Salt in Oz. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Captain Salt in Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. Chapter 11 The Prince of the Peaks. The cry, though loud, was no longer defiant, and Tandy, with a little gasp of relief, saw the mountaineers on all the bridges bring their pikes to rest beside them and gaze aloft for further orders. "'I am Alberif, Prince of the Peaks,' stated the man on the highest bridge, looking coolly down at Samuel Salt. "'But you, you who come in this flying ship to conquer the island of Peak and Spire, who are you?' Ato, the Eighth, King of the Octagon Isles, Sir Samuel Salt, Captain of the Crescent Moon, and Royal Explorer of Oz, Tazander Taza, King of Ozamaland, and myself a Royal Reedbird, shouted Roger, before any of the others had time to speak for themselves. The Prince of the Peaks, tall and splendid in his shining coat and breeches of silver cloth, his broad-brimmed hat, with its quill and rosette of wildflowers, looked so much more impressive than anyone aboard the Crescent Moon. Tandy half expected him to laugh at Roger's boastful announcements. But instead, Alberneef, leaning far out over his royal bridge, looked down at them long and seriously. Two kings, a royal discoverer, a flying ship, and a reed-bird! Hi the i do ho whistled the handsome monarch, shaking his head ruefully. "'No wonder we were captured! What, then, are your terms, kings, captain, bird, and conquerors?' "'Not conquerors, comrades,' called up Samuel Salt in his hearty voice. "'Only by your own wish, agreement, and consent shall ye come under the rule of Oz. If your highness could but descend from yon royal bridge to this ship, everything can be arranged both peaceably and pleasantly. "'Where, Alberif, where, Alberif? yodeled the pikemen on the lower bridges. "'Once aboard that ship, yep, we may never see you again, yen!' "'Oh, nonsense!' blustered Samuel Salt impatiently. "'I give you my word as a pirate and a seaman. No harm shall come to you on the crescent moon.' The prince stood lost in thought for a moment, then, tapping his long alpenstick sharply, he issued a high yodeled command. From the bridgehead an immense basket swooped down. The prince seated himself gravely in the basket, and with three men manipulating the ropes made a swift and dizzy descent to the deck of the crescent moon. While Samuel and Roger welcomed the tall and lordly ruler of the mountain isle, Ato hurried off to the galley to prepare some suitable refreshments for his entertainment. Tandy, after Samuel had introduced him, began making careful sketches of the handsome prince, of the lovely city of bridges and of the pikemen, who still looked with suspicion and distrust upon the ship that had taken the place of their own. "'How about that basket?' whispered Roger, who had come out to help Ato in the galley. How'd you like to be hoisted and lowered like a sail? And for salt's sake, King dear, 
dust the flour off your nose and put on your crown, or this fellow will think you're king of the cookies and doughnuts.' "'Ha, ha! When he's tasted my plum-cake, he'll not think it, he'll know it,' puffed Ato, bustling happily from cupboard to cupboard. "'Bring out the best tumblers and silver plates, fetch up a dozen bottles of my famous sea-pop from the hold, and we'll have this island in our pocket before you can say Oz Robinson.' When Ato with one tray and Roger with another came out, they found the captain and the prince of the peaks striding up and down the deck in the friendliest conversation imaginable. Matched in height and handsomeness, the two were discussing with lively interest everything from ships and governments to the strange limestone that formed the crystalline rocks of Alberiff's island. Later, seated around the table with Tandy and Roger passing plum-cake and sea-pop, the prince grew friendlier and more confidential still. "'We've never been conquered before,' admitted His Majesty with a puzzled smile. "'But really, I find it both interesting and enjoyable.' "'Just a matter of chance and luck,' said Samuel Salt, with a modest wave of his hand. "'Had I not had balloon sails on the crescent moon, your ship would have cut us clean in two before we had time to put about.' "'That is what I always planned would happen to an enemy craft.' sighed Alberiff. Naturally, our own ship, the Mountain Lass, would have been destroyed too, but we could easily have built another. That is what we'll have to do anyway, as we'll never be able to haul her up to the torrent." "'Don't you do it!' begged Samuel Salt, looking earnestly at the Mountain Monarch. "'I'll send you a set of balloon sails as soon as I reach Elbow Island.' The Red Jean presented me with two sets, and I'll be delighted to send you one. Once we're set, you can fly up as easily as we did, and be ready for all and sundry, even us if we come again." "'Come and welcome,' beamed Alberiff, looking in some surprise at Sally, who had just lifted her head above the rim of Samuel's pipe-bowl. "'But tell me, what am I to do now that I am conquered?' Surely something is required of us." "'Nothing, nothing at all,' Samuel spoke earnestly and admiringly. "'This island and your men are in fine shape and a great credit to you, so just go on as you are, but from this time forth you'll be in contact with the famous and most modern fairyland in history, and if you are ever beset by enemies you can call upon Oz for assistance or help. In time, fruit, foodstuffs, books and merchandise will arrive from Oz, and in return you may send back some of the sparkling crystals composing these mountains. You might even invite a band of settlers from Oz to come and live as your loyal subjects here." "'Gladly, gladly,' agreed the prince, his eyes sparkling at the prospect. "'We have many uninhabited peaks and spires, and could easily accommodate a thousand new bridge-builders. Come with me, all of you, to Skytop Tower, and we'll run up the flag of Oz and sign a pledge of allegiance to Her Majesty Queen Ozma. I de I o lay. Running out on deck, Alberiff joyously beckoned to the men who operated the traveling basket, inviting them all to enter. Ato, who had no intention of trusting his two hundred and fifty pounds to this strange conveyance, shook the prince regretfully by the hand. I'll just watch it all from here said the ship's cook firmly. 
I've pie to cook, potatoes to peel and dinner to stir up for all hands and a hippopotamus, so if you'll kindly excuse me—' The prince looked a little disappointed, but cheered up as Samuel, Roger, and Tandy followed him into the basket. "'Haul away!' yelled Samuel Salt, winking at Ato, and to the shrill tune of a ringing round of yodels their curious elevator rose from the deck, spun merrily up to the twin peaks and highest bridge of Alberif's mountain. Used as he was to the tall masts and lofty rigging of the crescent moon, Tandy felt sick and giddy as the basket swooped and swung upward. But it came down safely at last, and at sight of the shining spans of the lacy city spread out below, and the glittering castle rising from the royal bridge, Tandy forgot all his uneasiness. With a little whistle of surprise and interest, he followed Samuel and Alberif into the royal dwelling, while Roger flew off on a little exploring expedition of his own. Roger knew all about castles, and was much more interested in the many windowed, fluted cottages of the yodelers. Ato, watching from the deck of the crescent moon, presently saw the flag of Oz fluttering from the top turret of the castle tower, and with a little sigh of relief and pride he gathered up the empty pop-bottles and pattered off to his galley. Soon Oz flags floated from the posts on all the bridgeheads, adding much to the gaiety and beauty of Alberif City. From the royal bridge Tandy and Samuel had a splendid view, and of his many experiences Tandy always remembered best the afternoon spent on Pekinspire. Alberif was a merry as well as an interesting host, explaining everything from the strange travelling baskets to the age-old customs and treasures of the islanders. In the baskets the islanders could travel from bridge to bridge and down to the sea itself when they wished to go fishing. There was little soil between the rocks, but such soil as there was was so amazingly fertile each family could raise all the fruit and vegetables required in one small window-box. After long experimentation and culture, Alberif's ancestors had perfected two curious vines. On one vegetables grew in rapid rotation, potatoes following peas, corn following potatoes, carrots following corn, beets following carrots, cabbages, lima beans, and spinach after the beets. The vine never withered or died, and by cutting off the top every day, the islanders were assured of a continuous supply of fresh vegetables. The fruit vine was of the same variety, furnishing every known berry, fruit, and melon. Each family was given two of these vines, and thus had very little worry about food supplies. Birds, something of a cross between wild ducks and chickens, made their nests in the craggy peaks, and with their eggs and a plentiful supply of fish and other seafood the islanders fared splendidly. The bridgemen were tall, blue-eyed, handsome, and happy. Men and women alike wore short trousers and blouses of silver cloth, and carried pikes that served both as weapons and alpenstocks. The bridges, while delicate as fine lace in construction, were supple and strong as steel. The material mined from the mountains themselves was like silver and crystal combined, a new strong and glittering metal, samples of which Samuel happily thrust into his pocket. "'Sounds like magic,' said Tandy, 
who had been listening closely to Alberif's description of life on Pekinspire. "'It is a magic of a kind,' answered the prince with a pleased little nod. "'And the air here is so light and sparkling we never tire, grow old, or have illness of any kind, so that my people are always light-hearted and happy, spending most of their time in dancing and singing.' "'I see,' murmured Samuel Salt. Er, and here,' he added quickly, as the wild, joyous cries of Alberif's yodlers made every window in the palace rattle. "'I'll certainly make a note of all this and report Pekinspire Island to Queen Ozma as the most interesting discovery of the voyage.' "'I am highly honored,' Alberif bowed stiffly. "'Highly honored.' "'Hidey, hidey, oh!' Jumping into the air, the Prince of the Peaks kicked his heels together from sheer exuberance. "'Wait,' he told them cheerfully, "'and I'll get you some fruit and vegetable vines to take back with you.' Tandy and Samuel could not help grinning as Alberif rushed off. To tell the truth, there was something so light and exhilarating about the mountain air they found it difficult to walk calmly themselves. As the Prince returned, Samuel felt a loud and uncontrollable yodel rising in his own throat, and seizing Tandy's arm he bade Alberif a hasty and hearty adieu. Bidding him keep a sharp lookout for the airships from Oz, and loaded down with crystals and vines, the two explorers climbed into the basket and were swung swiftly down to the deck of the crescent moon. Roger, flying under his own power and yodeling like a native, arrived soon after. With Oz flags flying from all bridges and the mountaineers calling out rousing and melodious farewells, Samuel inflated his balloon sails and the ship soared gracefully aloft, circled the island three times, and then dropped lightly down upon the surface of the sea. The mountain lass, in charge of Alberif's husky crew, lay just offshore, and there she would have to stay till Samuel sent a set of balloon sails to lift her back to the lake among the peaks. Nicobo, who'd been swimming anxiously round and round, gave a bellow of relief as she spied the crescent moon. "'I thought you'd been captured and destroyed,' wheezed the hippopotamus, scrambling hastily aboard her raft. "'Next time you fly off, take me aboard, or give me a balloon sail, too. I'm so full of salt water, I'm perfectly pickled, and somebody'll have to scrape the barnacles off my hide.' "'But we brought you a present,' called Tandy, leaning far over the taffrail. "'A vegetable vine that will keep you supplied with fresh vegetables as long as we're at sea.' "'C-D-I-D-O!' "'Avast, and belay, D-I!' barked Samuel Salt grimly. "'Let's get away from here. This is no way for able-bodied seamen to talk.' Rushing from wheel to mast, he quickly set his sail. Ahoy! Ahoy, dioy, dio! he yodeled. Then, very red in the face, he blew three shrill blasts on his foghorn, swung his ship about, and the crescent moon, with a spanking breeze on her quarter, went skimming away toward the southern skyline. End of chapter eleven.